This is a show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve Him and their neighbor, for whom the words of the Creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is a show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. Tomorrow we celebrate the Feast of Pentecost, and it is a big day. Uh, It's one of the, the largest feasts of the Christian year. And this is one of those days where we have uh, multiple options for Mass, just like with Easter Vigil and with Christmas and Midnight Mass. There are um, multiple options that are presented to us in the lectionary. There's the Vigil, the Extended Vigil, the Mass during the day, and then the readings for Pentecost Sunday. And so there's lots of options for us to be able to, um, to explore salvation history in a way that relates to the gospel and to the the readings from Acts that tell us about the descent of the Holy Spirit, which we celebrate in a particular way through our confirmation, but then also live that out uh, through our through our charism, the charism that we have from living life as disciples of Jesus Christ, filled with His Holy Spirit and empowered to live the life, the Christian life, in the world today. Uh, so we're going to look a little bit at the the Holy Spirit today. Uh, But I wanted to, um, first of all and foremost, encourage you, if you have the option, if your parish is doing it, make your way to the Pentecost Vigil, because it is, uh, just like with Easter Vigil, it is a delight, and it kind of walks you through the process uh, of salvation history. With, um, of course, with Easter Vigil, you're going through the prophecies of Jesus coming, and you're going through uh, the the fall, right? You have Adam and Eve, you have the fall, you have the prophets, you have all of that laid out, and then that's brought to fulfillment with uh, with the the passion narrative, and and we celebrate Easter there. With Pentecost, however, we start in also in Genesis, but not Genesis one. We start with the Tower of Babel, right? We start with this place that starts off saying to us. The whole world spoke the same language, using the same words, while people were migrating in the east, and they came across this valley, and then you have the whole story of, they said, if we set our minds to it, and we agree in harmony, we can put, we can do whatever we want, and we can put ourselves above God, basically, is what they said. Um, And so, here, at that story in the book of Genesis, God scatters their languages, and so they're unable to to communicate with one another. It creates tension, it creates conflict, and then they separate. And then that brings us to Pentecost, where all of these people from who speak different languages come into one place, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, through the people of God, everyone understands the gospel being proclaimed to them. And so we start off in Genesis, we see going from one language to many languages, and then, of course, in the book of Acts, we have the reverse, where we start with many languages and we go to the one language, or at least that people understood each, understood the apostles and understood the, the preaching, each in their own language. Now, in the same way that all of us, as Pope John Paul II said, all of us, we are an Easter people and Alleluia is our song. In that same way, we are also a Pentecost people who are filled with the Spirit of God through our baptism, by virtue of our baptism, and then sealed in a more perfect way through our confirmation. Uh, We are a Pentecost people in that 
more than just this one event of the day of Pentecost. We are living with the effects of the descent of the Holy Spirit in the way that we live out our Christian life, through the charisms that we are given, that we operate in, uh, for the sake of the kingdom of God and for the sake of the sanctification of the world. So we are a Pentecost people, uh, Pentecostal, if you will, Pentecostal Catholic, and that we are living out our Catholic faith with the power of the Holy Spirit uh, given to us for the sake of the kingdom of God. Now, for the last few weeks, we've been talking about what do we owe to one another in disagreement, and particularly, what do we owe to one another in increasing polarization and these topics that have just kind of fractured our society uh, into an us and them kind of scenario. And I think that, well, I know that Paul has called, Paul tells us we're called to be ministers of reconciliation. That's kind of core to who we are as Christians. And if that's the case, we have to find a way to bring that reconciliation to others, even in the midst, and perhaps especially in the midst of these fractious divides. And we've had a few of these discussions for the last few weeks. We've got a few more that are coming up, looking at how we handle these discussions. Uh, But I wanted to take a moment today, uh, here at Pentecost, to look at this important factor, the Holy Spirit in the midst of these discussions. And to help us uh, break open that topic, we are going to have a conversation uh, with my darling patient bride, uh, Kristen. And thank you for being in in studio today. (laughs) Of course, love. Hi, everybody. And if you've been here before, as there's been a discussion with my wife, uh, you know that uh, I need feedback from another person. Uh, and so she, being the introvert, is more than happy to kind of be on the on the sidelines. Uh, she will break in every once in a while when she finds if something. I find something to say because you're so <laughs> thorough and you have such good things to say, and so I I am here but and what, I am listening. But what, what you don't know is that if she were not here. This would be almost impossible for me to pull off. Kind of, <laughs> kind of like the Holy Spirit's uh, participation in these conversations. I, the Holy Spirit. No, but but <laughs> you scenario. are the. <laughs> I know I'm not. But you are you are the uh, the representative. Uh, the representative. The, the ambassador. I'll take it. I think it's very important as we look at these topics. It's well and good to say, oh well, I want I want to live radical hope in the midst of division and despair. I want to do that. I want to live the Beatitudes. It's well and good to do that so long as we recognize that we're incapable of doing so. And and what I mean by that is this. This is not simply something that we can will ourselves into. Faith is a gift that we receive, right? Faith uh, of uh, in, in any capacity is a gift that we receive from God. Likewise, Our ability to love one another comes from a life empowered by the Holy Spirit. All of these fruits of the Spirit, love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, generosity, gentleness, faithfulness, modesty, self-control, and chastity, all of these things are the fruit of the evidence of a life lived in the Holy Spirit. And so I think that we have to start with this realization that the Christian life is not some list of tasks that I can pull off on my own. If we start with this understanding of our 
immense need for God's presence. Before we get to anything else, our need for God's empowering presence with us, then all of a sudden we're, because we're relying on God, all of these other things are possible. We have to start with humility, with our recognition of our immense need for God and our dependence upon God to, to not just not just to save us, but to walk with us on a daily basis. If we start there, then all of these other things that we're talking about, about what we owe to one another, this becomes so much easier because it becomes a matter of turning our ear and listening to what it is that God would say through us in that moment that would allow us, because of that humility, because of that um, abandonment to divine providence, to be that minister of reconciliation in that moment. I'm reminded of a specific time uh, several years ago when I was working in the Diocese of Tulsa. Uh, I was having to go downtown for a meeting, and, and I was there early, and I had enough time to get something to eat, but I didn't know where I wanted to eat, and I was just kind of wandering through town uh, aimlessly, so I thought. And I ended up over on Cherry Street and finally decided that where I, where I was going to eat, I think it was a... I don't even remember. It was a, a, a Mexican restaurant of some sort. And as I'm pulling in, I see a homeless person kind of slowly walking um, up the uh, up the sidewalk. And I kind of gauge that we're going to be around the same place at around the same time. And I throw up a quick prayer. You know, I'm busy. I've got meetings that are coming up. And this is not my primary focus, right? I've got specific, heavy, important ministry things to do for the Diocese of Tulsa. And I'm just stopping here for a quick bite. And as I get out of the car, um, of course, the person approaches me. And they ask if, uh, if I have a little money and if I could get them something to eat. And I just, at that moment, uh, was quickened by the Holy Spirit. I had this thought, this kind of... A, uh, I think <clears throat> holy inspiration kind of popped into my head. And I said, you know, I'm I'm going in to eat. Why don't you come with me? And so I purchased a meal for this person and I made sure that they got uh, not just a little bit, but they got what, what they would need. And we sat down and, and his name was Michael. And uh, I talked to Michael for a little bit as uh, we were in there. And I said, you know, we, we have a, a St. Michael that we pray to. And I uh, was talking to him some about Catholicism and some about this prayer. And I actually hand wrote out the prayer of St. Michael to him and he just teared up. And I don't know if it was because of the prayer. I don't know if it was because someone was treating him like a human being. Honestly, I never saw Michael again after that. I have no idea what the Holy Spirit was doing in that moment. If anything, maybe what was happening was the Holy Spirit was doing something in me. But what I do know is that in that moment, I could not deny that my plans for the day were not as important as what I strongly felt in my spirit needed to happen at that moment. And I wasn't late for my meetings, and I didn't feel inconvenienced, and it would have been just as easy to kind of uh, brush it off and say, you know, I know what the statistics say, and this is a bad idea. But no, in that moment, I felt the Holy Spirit, because we had, I had been in a in a conversation with the Holy Spirit in general, uh, I was spending time in prayer. I was spending time in scripture. I was spending time before the blessed sacrament. Uh, 
such that I could recognize when there was a draw or a nudge or the Holy Spirit pulling me towards something that I said, okay, in this moment, I can be a vessel, a minister of reconciliation in this time, in this place, for this purpose, on earth as, as it is in heaven, right? Let's give God what God asks for, and what God asks for is for our participation in salvation history. Now, that's just an example, um, and, and I wish that I could say that that kind of thing was my normal way of living, but it stands out because it was something that was just so very obvious to me in that moment that this was God asking of me more than I was prepared to give on first blush, right? This was something that God says, are you willing to step aside out of your normal plans, out of your routine, out of your first impression to go where I tell you to go? And the reason I bring this up, and, and I think that it connects back to these other conversations that we've been having for the last couple of weeks and we're going to keep having, is that so often we have worked ourselves into automatic response, right? We, because we have participated in the polarization, we've picked our sides, we've picked our camps, we know exactly how we're going to respond to each individual thing that I think that we run the risk of tuning out the Holy Spirit when he wants to work, right? If, if we know immediately, like a record, like a broken record, if someone says this specific argument that I've heard a thousand times because that's on the news, I will then therefore respond with this response. If someone says this talking point, I will respond with this statistic that I've, that I've memorized. And we get ourselves into this automation where we no longer leave space for listening, for tuning our ear and kind of perking it up for just a moment to say, what's God want to do right here in this moment, this Pentecost? How am I going to live out Pentecost in this moment, in this conversation, in this disagreement with this human person that's standing right in front of me. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't spend time studying. It doesn't mean that we we don't research for ourselves to be able to have intelligent conversations. But what it means is that um, we don't respond without first listening. So let's go back to the story of St. Paul in the book of Acts going to Athens And he's there on Mars Hill and he's looking at all of the different idols and he sees the one idol to the unknown God. And he begins to talk to them and say, this God who you worship uh, in in ignorance, I'm going to tell you about about in, in point of fact. And so he goes into that knowing quite a bit about his own faith, his own scriptures as he unpacks it. But he also knows something of theirs as well as he talks uh, they're on the they're Areopagus, which is right below the Parthenon, overlooking the city of, of Athens. And he's talking about their poets. He says, as your own poets have said, in him we live and move and have our being. And they he brings out all kinds of points that that they would know. 
that he had to have gotten somewhere, right? He, he had spent time in study, in knowing the culture, so that the Holy Spirit had something to draw out for that conversation. But I'm, I don't think he went into that conversation with notes all written out and kind of primed and ready to go. He went into it saying, okay, here I am. God, use me as you will. Here I am. What is going to be most effective in this moment? And then he listened. And then because of that, uh, he didn't make a big impact. It says many people uh, mocked him. And some people said, this is interesting. We'll hear you later about it. And then some people believed. But he was effective insofar as he was effective only because he married that knowledge with a willingness to be at the beck and call of the Holy Spirit. Something else that that St. Paul did here, and this is something, Kristen, I'm going to drag you into. Uh, Something else that he did here is it's very easy for St. Paul, being who he was, uh, being as learned as he was, to to lean on that and to speak in his own kind of linguistic language uh, that was familiar to all those people who shared common faith identity with him. But he's now he knows and he recognizes he's in a place that doesn't share that same faith identity with him. And he shifts his whole message. Mm. If you look at Paul uh, talking to the, the believers in Corinth versus the believers in, um, in Thessalonica versus the, the unbelieving uh, Jewish people that, that are in synagogues in these cities versus how he speaks here in Athens, the language is drastically different because he realizes that if he's going to effect change and bring about reconciliation, he has to speak the language of the people that he's talking to. Mm-hmm. And I think that so often in our society, we retreat to not only our positions, but to our preferred language. Oh, yeah. I mean, we we certainly do that. And when it comes to getting into discussions with people that we disagree with, which we're talking about polarization and and how contentious those things can be, and it can become almost even a point of another argument. Well, you're not using that word correctly. You didn't call it the right thing. And so therefore your argument is all null and void. I don't have to listen to anything you say. And, um, and yeah, bringing it back again to what is the fruit of the Holy spirit? We're talking about love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness. And when you can get to know the person that you're talking to, when you can, even just figure out where are they coming from and be able to to grab hold of something that you have in common because we are all humanity. And even if someone disagrees with you vehemently on some basic things, there's something in them that can agree with something that is in you. We are all created in the image of God. And so there's something there. (laughs) Um, And and being able to find that 
that common thread, that common analogy. Because most of the time, I would like to believe, and I think that I can, most of the time, I do think that people do want to do good. They want some good outcome. And how we get to that outcome, we might disagree huge, but but if you want that that same thing, that that goodness, whatever that goodness is, if you can work on that and and see the humanity in one another through that even. Um, you can, again, it brings it back down to having a conversation with a person who's in front of you that you give the benefit of the doubt to and aren't sitting there in your little camp uh, throwing darts over the wall, trying to make a point Mm -hmm. that isn't going to change anybody's mind or help anyone see any bit of God in what you're trying to do. Well, in that... uh... There's something else that's there. You're talking about finding the commonalities. Of course, this is what uh, St. Paul does at Mars Hill, Mm -hmm. is he looks for what's your language? What are the things that resonate with you? Uh, Let's let's go to that framework. Because so often, you're talking about definitions of words, so often we'll use the same word as the other person, but we'll use it to mean something different. Mm -hmm. And that can end up in just as fractious a place. Right. Well, I mean, that's... Why there can be so many, I think, discussions and seeming disagreements between even Protestants and Catholics. Like, mm-hmm. there is such a language gap that that just both sides don't get. Mm-hmm. And having been Protestant and becoming Catholic, like, that was something that was really surprising to me. It's like, we're not as, like, there's definitely differences. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying there's not. But, but we're a lot closer than I ever thought we were because we're using the same word in completely different ways and completely missing each other on these conversations and just thinking, well, they're worlds apart from us then. Mm-hmm. But when we get into these places where we recognize a disagreement and we don't take the time to look for commonality, we can jump immediately to, oh, this is insurmountable. Oh, this person is so far away that I just need to leave my mark and leave a, a zinger or something that will stay with them and last with them so that maybe one of these days they'll come to their senses. Right. <laughs> Uh, and and I think that that's a fundamental, uh, fundamentally wrong place to be, specifically as we're looking at how do we live out the fruit of the Holy Spirit of, of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness, right? This is, this is the way by which we measure, are we living a life that is exhibiting the fruit of the Holy Spirit? And so as, as we look at this person, and you mentioned this as well, we have to start with a point in saying there is a point of commonality. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what it is yet, but there is a point of commonality. Let me look for it and let me find it and bring that person, you know, go digging for the humanity, for the commonality, rather than uh, just relegating that person to being enemy and, mm-hmm. and, and other and other and throwing our arguments at them. Uh, because I think that once we get to that place, and by the way, this also uh, works for your spouse, right? <laughs> if you're just having an argument with them, let's start from the place to recognize there is there is a core agreement in the midst of this disagreement that we just have to find. So if, if we're going back to the question of um, abortion that we talked about a couple of weeks ago on the show with Dr. Charlie Camosi, 
that can seem like something so deeply uh, polarized that there's absolutely no way that we can come to agreement. And yet I think that we can come to an agreement and that agreement is that we should protect the vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Now, the person who disagrees with me about abortion is going to have a different impression of who's vulnerable in the situation. Mm -hmm. But we can come to an agreement that it is important to protect those who are most vulnerable and those who are on the edges. If we can start with that commonality, that one piece where you and I fully agree before we get into the weeds of everything else, we have a better chance of coming to a place of understanding and a better chance of being able to be ministers of reconciliation. If I start with um, the, the ways in which we are different, I can almost guarantee you that I'm not going to get to a place where we find where we find goodwill. Mm-hmm. Well, because, I mean, even as we're talking about how hard this can be for Catholics who want to live by the power of the Holy Spirit, I mean, we live in a society that is built on sarcasm and where we are, where many are walking around and are, um, they're expecting to be attacked in one way or another, whether it be as a joke or whether it be as a disagreement. And so coming as a Catholic, maybe speaking to someone who is not a Catholic, who is for abortion, if the first thing out of our mouths is a disagreement, is an argument, is an attack, is a, well, I have something to tell you about what you think. Mm-hmm. I mean, those walls are already there. Like, and they're just going to shoot up higher. It's not, they're, they have no um, motivation to bring those down to have a genuine conversation. Mm-hmm. That burden is on us. When we assume the stereotype in them and jump straight to that disagreement, we reinforce their stereotype of us. We get back into that uh, automation and we are never able to really break out of it. But we're called as followers of Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to be these ministers of reconciliation. And I think that we start there by recognizing the things that they hold that we can agree on, right? Here, here is this, this unknown God. Let me tell you more about why I agree with you about this, this perspective, whether that be the dignity of the human person. Let me take your concern for the vulnerable and let me expand that and tell you my perspective on it. Um, not even saying necessarily that you have to hold it. Let me just share with you my perspective on it. And by doing that, by, by treating them like a human person, we open the possibility that the guard comes down and that a seed gets planted more than we ever could if we just studied up and figured out the right singer to say. Here as we come into into Pentecost, we're celebrating tomorrow. Let us pray together. Holy Spirit, come empower our conversations. Hey, speaking of conversations, come over and be a part of the conversation over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle is at outside the walls. We're having a conversation about the Holy Spirit present in our conversations and in our lives. My darling wife, Kristen, is joining us today. Don't go anywhere. There is much more to come right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L. I'm joined by my wife in the studio today as we are talking here at Pentecost uh, about the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in our discussions as we are continuing this uh, this series, I guess, <laughs> on on how we live out our faith through and in the midst of difficult conversations. Kristen, thank you again uh, for being with us today. Of course, love. So uh, a few things. One, uh, our second child has now been confirmed. Yes. Uh, the chrism has already worn off of her <sighs> head. However, however, I don't, know, I don't know if you know this. Last night when I was uh, talking them in, she revealed to me that her teddy bear still <laughs> smells like chrism. And I did partake yes. a little bit more of that. So if uh, if you're needing if you're needing a hit, <laughs> there it is. Thank you. Good to know. <laughs> the, the the presence of the Holy Spirit in a um, in a on a teddy bear on a teddy bear. So there at the end of the last segment, we were talking about breaking out of these automatic responses. Right, we've got these these arguments that have been really well laid out for us. We know what they are. Uh, they're comfortable. We know the talking points. And as soon as we get into those discussions, you say this, then I say that. If you say this in response to what I say, then it's kind of like a flow chart. We just go down and we know what all of the responses are. Um, and it's convenient, but it's not effective. Right? It doesn't affect any change. And I think one of the um, the maybe the hesitations that we have is in order for us to break out of that, that cycle of automation, there is a risk, right? There's the, the danger that uh, we're going to be hated or we're going to be belittled or the conversation is going to go even more south and we're going to be embarrassed uh, in, in the midst of, of that discussion. And that's a, it's a very real possibility, depending on who the person is that you're talking to. Uh, you don't know if that person is arguing in good faith or not. Mm -hmm. um, there is that, that risk that's out there. And yet, as I look through scripture, I see one, the saints over and over, uh, both the saints in scripture and then the saints after the scriptures are written <clears throat> over and over taking those risks and and their holiness is evident to us because of that. And I wonder if we can find in this situation the application of Christ's words that whoever would save his life will, will lose it. Hmm. But whoever will lose his life for my sake will find it, right? The more we try to save face, to save reputation, to save whatever, um, and, and hang on to it, the more we lose the potential for the kingdom of God to be glorified, right? We'll lose it. And yet if we look at the situation and say, you know what, I'm going to risk my own reputation. I'm going to risk my own safety. I'm going to risk um, maybe even the way that those who are near and dear to me look at me because maybe they think I'm slipping. Uh, I'm going to risk all of that for the sake of the kingdom of God. And in doing so, there we find our life. Hmm. I like that a lot. 
actually. <laughs> yes. Um, because, I mean, living authentically is is a risk because if someone rejects you because of that it's not just oh well that was a mask I was putting on or that was oh that was just an argument that I read on the internet somewhere that I tried out and it didn't work but it's you it's us it's it's you're putting yourself out there and if that is rejected then it feels a lot worse it's harder to to slough off um but that idea that in in that taking off the masks, in that putting down the the darts, in that living authentically and letting the Holy Spirit speak through you, that there is that risk and you may lose your life in that way, but in that way you find it in God and and him affirming who you are rather than all of those outside forces affirming who they think you should be. Or sometimes even who we think we should be, right? We have this picture of what the good Christian looks like, mm-hmm. what the good Catholic looks like. Uh, and we've got all kinds of things to back that up. Uh, but sometimes that's built on our understanding of what holiness looks like, which we understand holiness through the externals. But holiness is visible in the externals, but comes from the internals, Mm. right? It comes from that connection to the Holy Spirit and that willingness to abandon yourself to divine providence, to say, God, whatever you've got for me to do today, just let me know and we'll do that together. Mm. Uh, And so, of course, for Mother Teresa, we see that holiness lived out in a very particular way, but there's something internal there before the externals ever hit. Uh, and and that holiness looks different for her than it does for uh, for Saint Therese of Lisieux or for uh, for Damien of Molokai or for Maximilian Kolbe. They're living out their holiness according to the the circumstances of the, their life, the people that are brought before them, and what the Holy Spirit wants to do with them today. So we have the saints as examples for us, but the diversity of those examples should speak to us of the fact that it's not just merely uh, a matter of playing pretend, dressing up like them and, and following their actions specifically. If it's not first backed up with that engagement with the, the person of Christ, with that engagement with the Holy spirit on a daily basis. So to some extent we have to be willing to let go of our own picture of what it means to be a good Christian, just like, frankly, just like the apostles did, uh, in order for us to actually walk the way that God wants us to walk. Uh, Because today, being a good Christian might look like engaging with a person that we wouldn't normally engage with, giving someone the benefit of the doubt who we have no doubt about. And uh, maybe as a specific example for that, um, we moved out about four years ago now to the Pacific Northwest. And I had in my mind a certain picture of the Pacific Northwest. I knew that in my mind we were coming out here to work at a church and it was going to be like missionary territory and going to be working in evangelization. But I had this expectation, um, and and I know that you shared that with me, Mm -hmm. that the West Coast uh, 
the left coast, the best coast, uh, was going to be secular to the point of hostility towards Christianity. Yes, that was what we anticipated. And I didn't find that to be true. I didn't either. And maybe it's maybe maybe it's only because I expected it to be horrific. And it wasn't that. And bad. it wasn't that bad. See, I don't even know that it was that though. I mean, I don't know if it was just the street we lived on or what. But I mean, this is the friendliest street we have, I think, ever lived on in any state. In any state, and people were very willing to to talk to you and to engage with you and the kids were all playing in the street and the older couple that didn't have kids anymore or that that had grown kids you know would put out their little signs like slow down kids are playing and um but those conversations were i i found with at least the other moms on the street were very genuine and very real and and they knew that we were catholic we knew they weren't catholic and and that was okay. And we could just kind of do life around one another. And and that was fine. And, you know, I don't know if it was, um, if it's sort of the idea of relativism, like sunk in a little bit. I'd be like, that's yeah, good for you. And that, you know, or if that's where it was. But it didn't feel that way even. Like it really was, they were willing to engage with you in conversation and even at the parish level where we were at i mean it was it didn't feel like going to war in this very missionary territory mm-hmm. um it just didn't it it was not what we expected in a very good way mm-hmm. i would say well and i think that that that's kind of a lesson in in a larger sphere as well that a lot of times we have expectations and we put on the armor and we steal ourselves for a, for the fight when, when what God really wants out of us is not the fight, but this conciliatory, right? (laughs) Be with these people that I just put you nearby. Like don't go fight them. I'm sure that everyone in the homily last week, uh, heard, the, the the truth the true statement that the word for witness you will be my witnesses uh there at the ascension you'll be my witnesses uh when the holy spirit comes upon you and of course we all probably heard in the homily that witness is the same word as martyr, martyr. but i think that we hear that and we think okay i'm gonna be i've got to get ready i've got to put on my um my spiritual flak jacket and prepare to be a martyr when, well, when right, we have a very narrow view of what martyrdom is, and and it's not only dying in the name of Christ, but that we can heroically die, heroically dying. And even though, like all of the apostles, save John, were martyred, eventually they weren't on Pentecost. Like they had work to do. They had to, and and I don't think that Jesus was just saying. You will be my witnesses. You will be my martyrs immediately as in death. But but that martyrdom daily dying to themselves and living for Christ Mm -hmm. in the work he had them to do before that. Well, I think that we've come to associate martyr with with that the the witnessing unto death Mm -hmm. because that happened 
on, on a somewhat frequent basis there early on. Right. But the call, when Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses, he was saying, you'll be my witnesses. We mm-hmm. are the, the, the icon, the, the visible expression of Christ's presence on earth today, apart from the Eucharist, which is Christ's presence veiled, we are the visible body of Christ mm-hmm. present in the world today. We are the, the only way that anyone else is going to see Christ's presence. And so that's why uh, we have in Matthew 25, the corporal works of mercy. Whatever you do to the least of these, you do unto me. It's, it's incentive for us to go and serve Christ in our neighbor so that our neighbor can see Christ mm-hmm. serving them. Right? We get to be... But we're, yes, they are Christ who we are serving, but we are Christ serving them at the same time. Mm-hmm. And so we have to be witnesses in, in that way. And I think that that, again, coming back to this, this uh, feast day of Pentecost, that requires that we say to the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, here I am. I've, I've received you when I was baptized you gave me a special uh, a grace, a special ability to defend the faith at my confirmation. So here I am, use me as you will. Mm-hmm. Right? So we already have the Holy Spirit. He's present. Now we just have to dispose ourselves to being led by the Spirit that's already there within us. And perhaps the last thing to say today on this topic is this. Um <clears throat> It is a difficult thing to say, I'm going to let go of my, uh, my expectations. I'm going to, to let go of these arguments and leave the safety of the automation so that I can begin to move in the Holy Spirit. And it is a frightening thing to take that step. But once we take that step, it is not a difficult thing. I think we have this expectation that the minute that we relinquish control, that God is going to give us the thing that we most fear. He's going to lead us into that thing that that we most hate. And that isn't who the Holy Spirit is, right? You can hear this in the sequence for Pentecost. And when you go to Mass tomorrow, you'll hear, uh, hopefully, you'll hear the, the Pentecost sequence. And within that, you, you hear this. You of comforters the best, you the soul's most welcome guest, sweet refreshments here below. In our labor, rest most sweet, grateful coolness in the heat, solace in the midst of woe. And then it goes on and talks beyond that. So yes, being empowered by the Holy Spirit takes us into uncomfortable places that we would not otherwise think to go. And yet, even as we do that, we feel the, the sweet refreshment, the accompaniment of the Holy Spirit with us and... We get to be ministers of reconciliation as well. So not only do we benefit from Christ's presence, but we are then also taking Christ's presence out into the world at large. Pretty cool. Kristen, thanks for talking with us today. Of course, love. If you missed any part of this conversation or you want to go back and listen to it again or share it with your friends on social media, have no fear. All of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. And each and every week, in gratitude for those who keep us on the air, our Patreon support community, we have an extra segment that's available to all of those 
who are part of that community. If you want to learn more and consider being a part of it, go to OutsideTheWalls.com. Click the Patreon link there in the navigation bar to learn more. Now, let's go ahead and turn our attention to our readings from Scripture and from church history. That's the sound of the Verbum Library launching up. Verbum helps you read Scripture in light of church teaching, putting the magisterium at your fingertips by linking Scripture to the catechism, to the fathers and doctors of the church, biblical commentaries, magisterial documents, and so much more. You can learn more at Verbum.com. Our reading from Scripture today comes from the first letter of St. John, chapter 4. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his Spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar, for he does not love his brother whom he has seen, He cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. That reading comes from the first letter of St. John, chapter 4. Now we enter into this passage in the middle of, of an argument that John is making. He starts off laying out the case for God's love for us. And then we enter in and he says, If God so loved us, which he's already established, we ought to love one another. And so he's going to lay out for us a few specific premises. One, that we should love one another, that God is with us and abides with us by his spirit, uh, that we don't have anything to be afraid of in uh, in this commandment and fulfilling this commandment of loving one another, uh, and that it is impossible to really love God if that's disconnected from our love for those who are right around us, for humanity. So he starts off, he's already established, as we said, he's already established that God does love us. Now, because of that, we must love one another. Because, why? Well, God is love. Not only does God love us, but it's his very essence. God is love, and if he abides within us, that characteristic is going to shine through us as well. If God abides in us, then that means that love abides in us. And if love abides in us, it can't remain there. It has to overflow. 
This is what the fruit of the Spirit is that we talked about earlier. Because we've been given a share of His Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, and all the rest, those are the natural fruit that that comes out of us just by virtue of Christ's presence there. It's, it's as if um, the fruit of the Spirit is the light spilling out of the windows of an inhabited house. You know that someone is home because the lights are on, right? The Holy Spirit is within us, and the lights that come out are those fruits of the Spirit uh, that are just evidence of His presence there. So because God loves us, and because God abides in us, and because God has given us His Spirit, therefore, we're going to love one another. Now, sometimes we feel a little bit unsafe, and so we close all the windows. We close the curtains, maybe use blackout curtains. I don't know how it works. Uh, But this is a result of fear and God loving us and wanting his presence in us to be evident calls to us to remind us, ah, fear doesn't have a place. There is no fear in love. In fact, perfect love casts out fear. And so if you have fear, if you have some uncertainty, the thing to pray is not that God would come to you, but rather that God, who is already with you, who's given you a share in his spirit, would perfect his love in you. And here at Pentecost is a great time to invite the Holy Spirit to do that. There's this prayer uh, that you uh, no doubt have heard, the prayer to the Holy Spirit. And this is one of my favorite prayers. I'm going to say it here together uh, with you. If you are familiar with the prayer, I invite you to make this your prayer during this Pentecost uh, feast celebration. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, and they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. O God, who by the light of the Holy Spirit did instruct the hearts of the faithful, grant that by the same Holy Spirit we may be truly wise and ever enjoy your consolations through Christ our Lord. Amen. Our reading from church history today comes from a catechetical instruction by St. Cyril of Jerusalem. The water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of living water, welling up into eternal life. This is a new kind of water, a living, leaping water, welling up for those who are worthy. But why did Christ call the grace of the Spirit water? Because all things are dependent on water. Plants and animals have their origin in water. Water comes down from heaven as rain, and although it is always the same in itself, it produces many different effects. One in the palm tree, another in the vine, and so on throughout the whole of creation. It does not come down now as one thing and now as another, But while remaining essentially the same, it adapts itself to the needs of every creature that receives it. In the same way, the Holy Spirit, whose nature is always the same, simple and indivisible, apportions grace to each as he wills. Like a dry tree which puts forth shoots when watered, the soul bears the fruit of holiness 
when repentance has made it worthy of receiving the Holy Spirit. And although the Spirit never changes, the effects of his actions by the will of God are, in the name of Christ, both many and marvelous. The Spirit makes one man a teacher of divine truth, inspires another to prophecy and another to the power of casting out devils, enables another to interpret Holy Scripture. The Spirit strengthens one man's self-control, shows another how to help the poor, teaches another to fast and lead a life of asceticism, makes another oblivious to the needs of the body, trains another for martyrdom. His action is different in different people, but the Spirit himself is always the same. In each person, Scripture says, the Spirit reveals his presence in a particular way for the common good. The Spirit comes gently and makes himself known by his fragrance. He is not felt as a burden, for he is light, very light. Rays of light and knowledge stream before him as he approaches. The Spirit comes with the tenderness of a true friend and protector to save, to heal, to teach, to counsel, to strengthen, to console. The Spirit comes to enlighten the mind, first of the one who receives him, and then through him, the minds of others as well. As light strikes the eye of a man who comes out of darkness into the sunshine and enables him to see clearly things he could not discern before, so light floods the soul of the man counted worthy of receiving the Holy Spirit and enables him to see things beyond the range of human vision, things hitherto undreamed of. That reading comes from a catechetical instruction by St. Cyril of Jerusalem, and that's my prayer. That's my prayer for, for you and for me that we would come to know deeply the gentleness and the power of the Holy Spirit, that it would affect our every waking moment, that we who have been sealed in baptism and strengthened in confirmation would dispose ourselves to be recipients of God's grace in this particular way that we would allow ourselves to be filled and that we would be attentive to the voice of the Holy Spirit, this Spirit who comes with the tenderness of a true friend, the one who comes to protect and to save, to heal, to teach, to counsel, to strengthen, to console, and that we, by God's grace, would be enlightened in our minds and that through the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, that we would allow the Holy Spirit to use us to bring that same enlightenment to all those who are around us as well. Lord, hear our prayer this Pentecost celebration. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for taking the time to tune in and listen. Come join the ongoing conversation over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle is at outside the walls. We'd love to have you over there. Today's show is brought to you by Anil Thomas and all of those who support the show through Patreon. Go over to OutsideTheWalls.com, click the Patreon link and join their numbers. And until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Peace.